0: This morning our gospel lesson will come from John chapter 15. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 17 of this passage. And I invite you to stand as you are able in body or in spirit for the reading of our gospel lesson. <clears throat> I am the true vine, and my father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You've already been cleansed by the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me, and I in them, bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are not gathered, they are thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide with me, and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you that my joy may be complete in you, that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, that your father may give you whatever you ask in my name. I am giving you these commands that you may love one another. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I would love... A beautiful yard. I would, I would love, goodness, I would love to have a beautiful yard. In fact, but it's not worked out like that. Uh, we're the house that gets the letters from the HOA saying, we're not going to seize your house, but you're not trending in the right direction. Just look at your neighbors. Look how lovely their yards are. And look at how you drive down property values. You know, that's, that's the letters... Uh, Charles Stewart's over our HOA, so I'm glad he's not here to, to witness this. But he would probably say, yeah, that sounds about right. So I would, lo- I would love a beautiful yard. You see these yards with azaleas and all these flowers. Thank goodness, wouldn't that be great to have? But here's my problem. I'm, I'm efficient, which is a buzzword for lazy, um, and I don't want to do yard work, but I have a good reason why I don't want to do yard work. This is Mother's Day. And so on Mother's Day, we all think of our moms. I love my mom and daddy. Love them so much. Mama, mama adopted me when she was 48 years old and got a snot nose, good-for-nothing two-year-old. Can you imagine that? No, you can't. I can't. So I love how much they've done for me throughout my life, and I love all that mom and dad have given me throughout the years. I love and I'm so thankful for my mom. However, my mama loved her plants. And we had those hanging up plants you see on the front of a lot of people's houses. And we had potted plants that I'm assuming were potted in pure cement. So the first cold snap of the year, what do we got to do? we got to go and bring in all those hanging plants and bring them inside the house. we got to go grab all those potted plants and bring them inside the house. And our living room looked like a jungle. And guess who was the one having to get all those plants inside the house? That would be me. Also, we grew we grew uh, you know our corn and our vegetables and our peanuts and all that, and so, yeah, corn's delicious, I love it, but I don't love going to gather it at six in the morning wearing long sleeves and blue jeans called the husk with scratch you didn't enjoy that. I love peanuts. I did not like sitting in my rear end scooting down the dirt, gathering the peanuts, did not enjoy that did not enjoy weeding everything I had to weave and hoeing everything I had to hoe, so yes, I would love. A beautiful yard. I would love a garden, but I'm lazy, and I don't want to do the work for it. My wife Holly loves it. Holly says, "Oh, Andy, I I love to get up on Saturday mornings and go trim the bushes and all that." Like, okay, you go do. I've got PTSD. You go do what you're gonna do. I'm gonna sit here in the air conditioning. You do you. I'll do me. It'll all be just fine. That's why I joke with my family. My goal is to one day move to the inner, to, to downtown of a large American city where there's nothing but asphalt, and it'll be beautiful. Just can't wait for it. So, some of you like to garden. I I I do not share that love. I would love to do it, but just don't want to put forth the worst or the worth the the work of it. Today's passage we just read is one of Jesus's um. Beautiful passage. You've probably heard this passage a lot, probably heard many sermons on this passage. John 15 falls at an interesting place in the Gospels. Um, If you go back and look at the greater context where we find John 15, John 15 comes after, knowing your math here, John 13. John 13 is Jesus' discourse where he washes the disciples' feet, where he gives them the Lord's Supper, and where he tells them... you know, this is the new commandment i leave for you to love each other as I have loved you. Leaving them this new commandment. And then basically, moving forward from John 13 to John 17, we see Jesus teaching on what this new commandment looks like. We see him kind of unpacking what he said earlier about this new commandment. John 14 is where he says, my father's house, you know, where I go, you'll go with me. John 15 is the vine. And John 17 is the beautiful prayer he prays for unity for the church. But we see this passage here fall right in the middle of Jesus' kind of final teaching of the disciples. And that doesn't mean that it has any more significance or weight than any of the other teachings of Jesus. I'm not saying that this passage is more significant than the Sermon on the Mount or anything like that. But what I am saying is this. This is some of Jesus' last words to his disciples. And think about what last words mean. Think about how many famous people we know their last words. John Wesley's last words to his followers were, um, best of all, God is with us. Samuel Wesley, John's father, his last words to John and Charles were the inner witness. That is the evidence of God. So our last words have great importance to us. They really do. They're, They're very important to us. So we see here for Jesus this teaching about the vine. And some of his last words to his disciples. And so you've heard this before. You've heard sermons on this before. No big deal. But it's interesting. One of the ways that I prepare for a sermon is this. I typically write my sermons a couple weeks out. I like to spend time kind of working on them and thinking through them a couple weeks out ahead of time. And so what I do when when I'm getting ready to preach on a passage is I'll just read it over it and over it and over it and over it, trying to internalize it. And with this passage here, typically our eyes are drawn to what Jesus says. Greater love has no man. They lay down his life for his friends. That's one of those passages that kind of catches our eye. And we're typically drawn to that. You've probably heard a lot of sermons of that passage. You've you've probably heard passages, sermons on, uh, abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's typically where our eyes are drawn when we read this passage. But as I read this passage, I felt my eyes being drawn over and over again. Verse 2. Let me read to you verse 2 one more time. Where verse 2 says this He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, He prunes to make it bear more fruit. Even that's interesting. He removes every branch that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, He prunes make it bear more fruit he removes every branch that bears no fruit how many times in your life maybe a lot in this last year have you felt like maybe you've been removed you've gone through the trials and the struggles and the fears you're like well I guess God's done with me I mean, look at all that's happening. I guess God's done with me. I guess God's given up with me. I'm not bearing fruit. Because think about it. Think about it. We, we think in our life, well, you know, God, I haven't done enough for you. I haven't prayed as I ought to. So I guess you're going to remove me. I haven't gone to church like I ought to. So I guess you're going to remove me. I haven't fasted or I haven't read the Bible. I haven't done these things like I ought to. I guess I'm not bearing fruit in these areas. So I guess, God, you're just going to cut me off. I haven't done enough, so I guess you're going to cut me off, and I'm going to be that vine that's thrown in the fire. So when we go through our trials and our struggles and our doubts and our worries and our failures, we think, well, God's just cutting me off because I haven't been good enough. God's getting rid of me because I haven't done enough. God is, God's cutting me out because I have not been as faithful to him as I should have been, and God is done with me, and God is writing me off, and God is throwing me to the side, and God's throwing me in the fire because I'm of no good to him. Maybe I'm the only person that feels like that, but sometimes when I go through the trials, or the struggles, or the difficult times, I'm tempted to think, "Well, I guess God's done with me. I, ha- I guess I haven't borne the fruit that the Bible said that I need to bear. I guess He's cutting me off and throwing me in the fire." Isn't that what he just said right there? I mean, didn't verse 2 that we just read say, uh, He removes every branch of me that bears no fruit? I guess he's removing me because I hadn't borne enough fruit. But interestingly, this is why context matters. When you keep reading that exact verse, what do you say? Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. Perhaps the struggles and the fears and the trials and the difficult moments, perhaps those are not God cutting us off and throwing us in the fire because we're not good enough, but perhaps, just maybe, Those things are God pruning us so that we can grow more fruit. Now, it may feel the same way when you're going through a difficult time because pruning hooks cut regardless. But maybe, maybe, maybe God is not, maybe your trials, your struggles, your doubts, your these things, maybe these things are not God out to get you. Maybe these things are not God cutting you off. Maybe these things are not God punishing you. But maybe these things are God pruning you so that you can grow more fruit. Maybe your troubles and your trials are not because God is mad at you, but maybe your troubles and your trials is because God sees great potential in you. And he is going to use you. He is going to grow in you a beautiful orchard that's going to produce so much fruit that you can't even stand it. Maybe, his tri- maybe the trials in life, maybe the troubles in life are not because God's out to get us and cast us aside but maybe the trials and the troubles in life are so that God can prune us and so that God can grow amazing fruit in us. Perhaps your trials are not God's disappointment in you. Perhaps your trials are God's way of growing you because God sees the potential in your life. Of what you can be. I want to read to you a quote by C.S. Lewis. Y'all know I love C.S. Lewis, but I want to read this in actually verbatim so I'll get it right. <laughs> because a lot of times my Lewis quotes are kind of off the cuff, and I, I know it, but I'll get some stuff wrong. I want just a little bit longer, so I want to read this one to you. Because here's the thing this pruning, this trials, let's be honest, y'all. They hurt. Being pruned hurts. Having trials hurts. Having struggles hurts. Let's not pretend like this is a fun or easy process. Let's not pretend like this is even an enjoyable process. Let's not pretend like this process can't bring us to our knees. Let's not pretend like this process is easy and carefree. But this process can be painful. The pruning of God can be a painful thing. It's not always an easy thing. C.S. Lewis says this, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. And first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. And you knew these jobs needed to to be done, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking knocking the house about in a way that it hurts abdominally and does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house than the you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. He is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. The growth of God, the pruning of God, the challenging of God, it can hurt y'all. It can, I like the word, it can be, it can be abdominally hurt. You know, you ever, been so high? You, ever, you ever been hurt so bad, you inner hurt? I talked one day after, I think it was after Easter. I said, I preached so hard, my knee was hurting. I didn't even do anything. I was just hurting for no reason. Sometimes the trials and the pruning of God can leave that, that pain and that hurt. We think, God, what are you doing? God, what are you doing? This doesn't make any sense. I don't understand what you're doing, God. This doesn't make a lick of sense. God, why am I going through this? Why are you doing this? What is happening, God? I don't understand. But y'all, God's plan for you is not to make you happy. God's plan for you is to make you holy. Let's say that again. God's plan for you is not to make you happy. God's plan for you is to make you holy. Let's think about his parents this Mother's Day. Those who who have kids, particularly when our kids are younger, what's the one thing we want for them? Protection, safety, comfort. I mean, we want. I mean, parents. You kids may not believe it. Our, our. One of our goals for you is protection and safety and comfort because if you're not comfortable you're gonna whine and we don't wanna deal with that, just being honest. But as parents, don't we desire safety, protection and comfort for our children? Of course we do. But you know what I want more than my kid for all their life to be comfortable and safe? I want them to be good people. I want them to make wise choices. I want them to have compassion and mercy in their hearts. I want them to follow Jesus. I want them to live out the gospel regarding other people with worth. Like that's what I want for them. But here's the challenge, y'all. That doesn't happen in comfort. Because if all we ever do in our faith is things that are easy, then our faith will never grow. If all we ever accomplish in our life are things that we can do via our, our own strength and our own might and our own ability, then we'll never grow. I'm not talking about some Herculean, gigantic effort for God. I'm talking about maybe, maybe loving folks you don't like. Maybe, maybe loving folks you disagree with. Maybe loving folks that are mean to you. Because Jesus says we've got to love even our enemies. And here's the catch I don't like them. I don't like my enemies. They're my enemies for a reason. I don't want to love them. I don't want to even like them. But yet Jesus doesn't give me an out on that. Because remember, his goal is not to make me happy. His goal is to make me holy. And me loving those folks I don't like, that's not something I can do by myself. I'm not strong enough, I'm not good enough, and I'm not holy enough to do it by myself. I can't. The only way I can do that is this house that God's building in my heart where he intends to live. John chapter 1 is my favorite Christmas story where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The big fancy word for that word becoming flesh and dwelling among us is the incarnation. Jesus put on flesh and dwelt among us. Worst thing, y'all, the incarnation did not stop on Christmas. But the incarnation continues now. Because the same spirit wants to incarnate us now. And have Christ live within us. Have Christ transform us. And this living house that Lewis talks about is a palace for a king where Christ wants to dwell within us. But that means he may have to knock down some walls. And that means he may have to push us and convict us and challenge us. And yes, even prune certain places in our life Because here's the thing, y'all. God sees such potential in us as individuals and families, as a church, and that means sometimes He does prune us. Sometimes we go through those trials and those troubles because God wants to grow that. God wants to grow that orchard, that orchard. He wants to grow that field. He wants to grow those flowers that erupt from our souls. And like I said, I want to live in asphalt, so I don't care about all that. That's something I'm going for. But it is a beautiful thing when God produces that fruit in our lives. When I was younger, one of my tasks at the house was to cut the grass, And my mama um, grew some, had planted some plants that um, I didn't know were plants. I thought they were weeds. So when I, so when I was uh, cutting grass, I just, I just scalped them bad boys back, man. I thought I did a good job. I got rid of those weeds. Turns out they were not weeds. That was, we say, that was a bad life choice right? that I made right there, which I paid the consequences for. So a couple years ago, somebody from church gave me and Holly a rose bush. We put out in our front yard. You drop it in our front yard and see this rose bush there. And, I, you know, I've been there for a year and always does a pretty good job. One day I came home and I thought Holly would run over with a lawnmower. Because there's nothing left. I thought, girl, you scalped this thing back. There's nothing left. What did you do? You destroyed our rose bush. I said, no, Andy, I pruned it back. It's going to grow back. I'm like, okay, you say so. Don't come crying to me when you scalped our bush. You pulled up to our front yard now. And there are just roses everywhere. Just this, 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 this stump that we prune back has erupted in beauty. That's what God longs to do to, do to us. You're not the branch that He's going to throw in the fire because you failed. But through His grace, you're the branch He's pruning. Because he sees amazing potential in you for the kingdom to erupt in beauty that changes our world. Abide in him, and he will abide in us. May all the world come to praise his holy name as Savior, and may we bear much fruit for his kingdom. May it be so. Let's pray.